take one. Welcome to the Innate Strength Podcast. I am your host, Justin Meisner. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is episode three of my first ever podcast, and I've been loving it so far. If this is your first time tuning in, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoy this episode, and I encourage you to check out the first two episodes as they'll be really beneficial listening to the podcast moving forward. That being said, as always, I don't run ads on my podcast, so you're welcome. But do me a favor if you can. If you want to support, please head to my Patreon page, patreon.com slash innate strength to fund and support this podcast. Today's episode, we're going to talk about nutrition. This is a pretty hot button topic, and I think there's going to be a lot of information we can go over. I'm going to do my best to keep it pretty concise. And if you know me already, you know that I tend to be pretty concise with what I'm going to say anyway. But the best question to start with is, what's the best diet? And if you listen to my previous podcast, you would know that that's a bad question. It is. There's no best diet for anybody. At least in the terms of a bubble of people all fitting underneath one bubble of a diet. That means it's not paleo, it's not primal, it's not vegan, not vegetarian, not pescatarian, not no carbs, not no grains, not no sugars, not no nothing. Here's the thing. If your body couldn't handle food, it would die from it. That's the way we need to understand food. If you cannot process something, then it's literally not going to process it. So first thing to note, if meat was bad for you, you wouldn't be able to eat it. Context matters, of course. It doesn't mean that now we have free reign to eat all the meat we want in any context, way, shape, or form. There's still things that matter like quality, amount, frequency, and a host of other things going on in there. So let's back up to the question on diets. Why are there so many fad diets and what are they supposed to be doing? Because you might have tried one before because you had a friend go on keto and they lost weight. So you try it, nothing happens. Or you had a friend do primal or vegan or vegetarian, whatever. They do a diet, they get great changes, so now they're an acolyte of this diet. They think it's the best thing ever. Everybody should be doing it. You try it out, don't get the same results. What gives? Well, I'll give you a few things. One, the first thing we need to look at with diets is what was the person's diet like before they started the new diet? Because the average American diet is pretty terrible. Let's be honest. It's definitely not that great for you. Lots of fast food, lots of processed food, eating large amounts of garbage for the most part, low movement, low exercise. That's all bad. Something you'll note with probably every diet that exists that people would put in the category of a good, and that's in quotes, good diet, is that they'll involve whole foods. They'll involve eating less bulky and less dense amounts of food, so lower calories. They'll focus on local or organic or rawer ingredients, better sourced ingredients. And they'll usually focus on more water, less sugary things like soda and juices and whatnot. And then, of course, exercise and sleep. Okay, that, that's a good diet right there. That's what you should do. But then we stamp in there, oh, and also don't eat any meat or animal products. Oh, and also don't have any fats. Oh, and also have no carbs. Oh, and also have lots of protein. And also have low protein. And also have only vegetable protein. I don't think that that's the reason why those diets work. It's not because you went keto. Well, keto is a different thing. We'll get into that. You going vegan is not necessarily the reason why you're going to feel better and move better and whatever. If you're living a standard American lifestyle and eating the standard American diet, 
you changing to any form of good eating and lifestyle changes, you're going to feel better. You're going to lose weight because you're doing better things. It has nothing to do with that little tiny change that makes this diet different than all the other diets. You're just eating better. You're just living better. Right? If anything, it's almost, almost, and I'm putting an almost in there, a scam to say that these diets work. Because people can then write books and sell books based on how to eat this way, research that supports it, and then, of course, the host of recipe books that people will put out to say, well, if you want to live keto for forever, here's how you make a keto brownie, which doesn't actually exist in my opinion. Or how to make a vegan thing or whatever. Like, We've got to take a step back and start looking at people as individuals. If we understand that our body moves in a certain way, so we talked about last week, form doesn't matter. If you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to that episode. But if the cells of our body only respond to the information being given to them, meaning they don't think things through, then the question we have to ask is, what's going on inside my body when I eat something? The body's going to try and utilize whatever it can. And there's things that'll make that easier or harder. One, do I have good digestion? That'll help. If I have bad digestion, I may not absorb anything from the food I'm eating or barely anything by the time it gets excreted out of my system. So good digestion kind of matters. What the quality of the food is, is there actually anything in there useful for me? My stress levels. If I'm super stressed, I can't expect my body to digest very well because if you're in that high parasympathetic state, sorry, sympathetic state, you're too stressed. Of course, you're not going to digest well because your body's in fight or flight mode. You need to get back to chill before you eat. So here's what you need to do if you want to see what diet is best for you. And this diet is for you, not for your friend, not for the guy on Instagram who has a six-pack abs who tells you keto is the best thing ever, because that's not it. The thing you have to understand is that a lot of these diets work because people want them to, and they make big changes with them. Keto for me is a great example of a diet that has an acute place in our world. I think there are good things you can do with a keto diet in a short-term bubble. Long-term lifestyle change, I don't think is good for you. There are people who have died on keto and people who weren't necessarily eating it improperly, meaning they were eating whole foods, they were eating good fats, they were doing all the right things, but their liver gave out and they died. Okay, this is obviously still an outlier scenario, but it happens. And that's because ketosis is not the thing your body's meant to live on for forever. And I know I'm going to get people who are going to tell me I'm wrong and they're going to give me their reasons. And I'm all for hearing them. I haven't heard one that I think is valid other than it supports their opinion and it supports their business, which is based around that opinion. I remember reading in a book once that they were talking about how we as humans used to eat like a woolly mammoth and we would eat the meat and the fat from that animal for a long period of time. That's how we had sustain ourselves without vegetables. And they're using that as their reasoning for why keto is such a good thing for us. And I, I understand what they're getting at. The problem is we haven't eaten that way in a very long time. So the question would be, does our body not adapt over time? And I think we can see clearly that our bodies adapt over time. Since they adapt over time, it's safe to say that we don't eat that way anymore. So our bodies have adapted to not eating that way anymore. So while there may have been a time and place for humans to be eating high amounts of fat and meat, it's a long time ago in our history. Like we barely have historical records of that. That's how long ago it was. We have more historical records of us being agrarian, of growing things and harvesting. I mean, that's way more prevalent. That doesn't mean that therefore grains are good for you. And see, this is the other problem I see in the health and fitness world is that if I say one thing, 
that means 100% go this direction. It doesn't mean a slight deviation, which is what we're talking about. It doesn't mean that keto's wrong. I think there's a time and place for it, but you can't live on keto for forever. Or your body's not able to do that anymore. If it was at some point, we're not there anymore. And there may be some people in this world who still have a ancient, quote unquote, ancient genetic makeup that's more lends itself to a more keto-based diet, but it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Your body can produce ketones, but if you talk to people, especially talk to survivalists and talk about ketosis, they'll have a very different opinion than your fitness gurus because ketosis is what you're in when you're, you're trying to stay alive, right? It's, it's the primal fight or flight that you're in at that point. Again, we can go on a whole episode on, on ketosis and keto, the diet. If you're on keto and you're happy on it and you're healthy, and not because you feel healthy, but because you can talk to a doctor who is keeping track of things and can actually see that you're healthy, I'm not saying don't do it. Well, I guess I kind of am. But what I'm saying is just be smart about what you're doing. There are better things out there than just living on keto the rest of your life because it changed your body. And here's the second thing. If you get off keto and you gain all your weight back, then guess what, Buttercup? Keto doesn't work, at least for you, because you can only maintain the weight loss if you're on the diet. That sounds like a scam. That sounds like one of those MLMs that make something happen that it works, but as soon as you stop it, it doesn't work anymore. That's not what we're supposed to be. We're about long-term changes that'll last for forever. So if you want real weight loss, you should be able to lose weight, and then three years from now, it's still gone. That's where you should be. But if you lose 30 pounds in six months because you went on keto and then go back to a normal diet and you gain 30 or 35 pounds in six months, but you weren't eating crazy and healthy, then there's something else going on. The keto didn't fix the problem. It just was an easy way to lose weight. I mean, honestly, don't eat for seven days. You're gonna lose a lot of weight. That doesn't mean it's healthy. It just means you're doing a desired outcome. So, a little rant over there. Let's go back to what we should do when we focus on what we should be eating for ourselves. So first and foremost, food should always be whole foods, meaning if I can, I should start with a carrot not dehydrated carrot substance or a thing that has carrots in it, but let's start with the carrot and utilize that however I want to use it. Same thing for vegetables, all other vegetables, for proteins, for carbs, for fruits. That's what we should do. Start with whole food. If you can, start with whole food that's in your local area because one, it'll be fresher because if it didn't come from more than like 60 to 100 miles away, it didn't have a lot of travel time. That's a good thing. When you have food that's been shipped across the sea, I mean, it's been spending time not being eaten. And food does best when it's fresh picked. I mean, you've ever had a fresh picked tomato or an apple? It's a very different food than the store-bought apple. If you can buy stuff local, it's a very high probability that it's closer to that fresh picked apple. So start there if you can. Grow your own food if you want. That's another great option. Starting with whole food. Eat better. Sleep more. And that means actually sleep. Learn to shut off your sympathetic nervous system and exercise. If you start with those things, you're going to see changes in your lifestyle and habits that are good things. And over time, it'll create new habits and new intuition in your body to crave the right things. That's the other thing with cravings. We have those articles you've probably seen where people say, if you're craving to have a bar of chocolate, we'll just eat some almonds because what you really want is the iron. No, I think most people are craving chocolate because they want sugar and chocolate. See, if the body is really craving iron, I mean, there's a host of things that have iron in them. Or their bodies become so numb to 
junk food that they can't disassociate the right thing anymore. You've lost the ability to sense what's right and what's good and what's useful. So first thing, whole foods. Second thing, relax. We're so high strung in society, which is so funny because we don't live in a world where we're being chased by animals and I might die today because I didn't bring my ax or my spear with me. Like you still have like, you can easily die any day because you can get in a car crash, something catastrophic can happen around you. Like there's just, we have to understand that you're not going to live forever, one. And two, you cannot guarantee tomorrow. You just can't. So rather than stress about tomorrow, relax. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Relax. And the other reason why is because if you are in a para, sorry, sympathetic state, I promise I'll get this right by the end of the episode. If you're in a sympathetic state, that means your body is in this fight or flight mode. If you've ever had a really high stress scenario come up and you almost feel like puking, you know why? Well, one, you're super stressed. But two, you're in that position of not wanting to eat. So if you are in a constant sympathetic state, you can't really expect yourself to eat well and digest well. You need to be in a position where you can take the time to eat and you are able to eat with a relaxed body. So if you don't know how to become relaxed or if you don't even know if you are relaxed, really easy things to go through. Lay on the floor. You can go through lots of exercises with breathing and different techniques. The easiest way for me is spend like five to 10 minutes doing a four-second inhale and an eight-second exhale. It doesn't have to be exactly those numbers, but as close to those as you can get. This is what we'd call a parasympathetic breathing response. Depending on which system of breath work you're working with, they'll have different reasons for the names, whatever. But this is a great way to start letting the body relax. So when you do that four-second inhale, and then eight seconds out, and then repeat. When you do that exhale, let your body sink. Just let everything go away. Let your body relax. The amount of times that I can do breath work and by the end be really hungry reminds me that I'm easily fallen to a sympathetic nervous system state. I easily get high strung. I would be what the type of person you'd call high stress worrier. But I understand that. So I learn to keep myself more low stress and more calm and collected. And when I'm there, I can eat better. And that would fall into, I guess, point two B is to eat when you are hungry. Now, sometimes in life, that's not going to happen in the way our world works or your job works. I understand that. But as best you can, if you're not hungry, you shouldn't eat. We eat to stay alive, but to eat to eat is kind of the the new first world problem, right? I mean, we just like, what do you do when you're bored? Well, I make some popcorn. I watch a movie. Were you hungry? Did you need the popcorn? No, I just wanted to eat it. Okay, well, that's not a good that's not a good thing to do. It's fine here and there, but you need to be able to eat when you're hungry. And a lot of Americans don't know how to identify actual starvation hunger pains. They just differentiate between I'm full and I could eat. I could eat doesn't mean that I'm actually hungry. It just means that my stomach isn't full. I could put stuff in it. So get good about learning to wait until you are hungry to eat. And then start eating when you're hungry. And with that, take your time when you eat so that your body can let you know when you are full. And you'll find that you'll get full a lot faster than the amount of foods you could eat. That's why in these eating competitions, those like competitive eaters, they eat so fast. One, I mean, they're trying to race for time. That's a, definitely a good reason. But two, they want to get past that window where their body's going to say, hey, hey, I'm good, no more food. And I'm sure there's some training involved there of being able to, to work around that. But we all know what the wall is that when you start eating and you hit that wall, like I'm like done. 
So learn to eat and take your time. Whole foods, relax. Take your time when you eat. Eat when you're hungry, right? I guess that's more like a one, whole foods. Two, relax when you eat with the 2A and 2B stuff in there. The next thing, eat foods that feel good in your stomach. Now, this doesn't mean avoid fast food. I mean, that should go without saying. Honestly, I think the biggest question I have is why are fast food restaurants still doing so well? And it's mainly the convenience of the food. But I'm going to make a point today that what you get at McDonald's or Burger King or any of these fast food places is not actually food, but stuff that used to be food. That's why you can leave it sit on the counter for a week and nothing happens to it. No bacteria wants to eat it because it's not real food. If it's not going to break down and mold easily, I should question whether or not I need it in my system. At that point, you're not eating to be nourished. You're eating to not be hungry. I mean, then eat cardboard, eat bark off of a tree. Like if that's the place we're in, McDonald's is not a great option for that. Cardboard isn't either, and neither is a tree bark. I'm making a point. Don't eat those things. But like avoid that food. Like I would rather not eat a meal than go eat at McDonald's because I know what that is. It's not worth not feeling hungry. Hungry is being, it's okay to be hungry. Just like it's okay to be tired. It's okay to be thirsty because then you know you're one alive, you're human, and you'll enjoy those things so much more. You'll enjoy being able to eat good food when you eat good food that's not always convenient. But the second reason why I bring this one up is because people don't really understand this idea that your genetic makeup, your background can have an influence on the types of foods that you are going to be able to digest. And this is not just necessarily around like allergic reactions, lactose intolerance, whatever. Those are different things. I'm just talking about like your body's genetic makeup and understanding how to break down certain foods. I mean, I don't eat a lot of avocados. And some people would say, oh man, but they're so good. No, I like eating them. They taste good, but they sit in my gut. And I used to live in California at a house that had avocado trees. So, I mean, talk about as fresh as you can have an avocado. I've had it. Didn't change the outcome for me. Six hours later, it still felt like there was just avocado fat sitting in my gut doing nothing. And it would feel gross for the next day or a couple days. So I've checked avocado on my list of like, hey, this doesn't really work for me. So I'm just not going to eat it. That doesn't mean I would tell people that avocados are bad for you. But just that in my experience, I don't digest the avocado well. I'm not going to eat it. And you may think now in your head, okay, I've actually had foods before that I guess I could put in that category that I've eaten, didn't feel that good from. This is where we get that idea from like nightshades being a bad food group. So that's like eggplants, tomatoes, potatoes, garlic, onions, those things. Uh, some people do have a problem with those. And I think there's good reasons for that. And I think part of that can just be your genetic background. Like if you're from Italy and you have a genetic background that goes back generations in Italy, you're probably going to do okay with tomato products because you've had it in your generational makeup for so long that your genetic makeup is used to digesting and processing that nightshade. But if you live somewhere that's never had a tomato or didn't have them a lot, that's the thing about the culture we're in now is we have access to any food. I can get dragon fruit in the middle of Idaho. That would not be possible 50 years ago. That would be possible anything 20 years ago. I'm not sure, but... It seems like there's a wider range of availability of foods that we really haven't had available to us for more than 50 years, maybe 60, depending on where we're at. It's, I, haven't, I haven't looked into those numbers. If you have those numbers, you should send them to me because I'd be really interested to see what those are. But the, the point is that we haven't had access to everything, and now we have access to everything. I mean, if you want to eat camel, you can find somewhere nearby that probably sells camel. 
but your body may have never had it. So maybe kale is not good for you. And this is where we fall into that category of I'm eating kale because kale is good for me. And so I make a kale salad every day. I'm gassy and bloaty and I have all this water retention, but kale is going to help me because it's good for me. Maybe it's actually not. Now, from a nutritional standpoint, kale has lots of good things in it. The question should be, if the food has nutritional value, can I acquire that nutritional value for myself? Can my body actually assimilate it? And there are two things that we have to think about. One, can I just actually digest and use this food, like my genetic makeup? Do I have the epigenetic structure to digest this food? Number two, is my digestive system healthy enough to allow me to eat this food and actually absorb it? Because if your digestive system is all out of whack, I mean, you're just eating, again, you're eating, feeling full, and processing almost everything out because you can't digest it. You can't break it down and absorb all the nutrition that you need from it. Then I would say kale is probably not a good option for you because kale one is a very fibrous, leafy green. So if your digestion sucks, it's not going to help your digestion. Digestion, And two, if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. That's fine. There's, again, access to all this food. You have access to all the options. What, so who cares if you can't eat kale? Like, just move on and find something else. I mean, eat spinach, watercress, lettuces. I mean, there's plenty of leafy greens you can eat besides kale. And then there's also the option of the different varieties of kale. There's a host of different varieties of kale, and some are easier to digest and some are less. Go look at heirloom varieties. You can find hundreds of varieties of kale other than the ones you buy in the store. So... This is the part that I'm really fascinated with is keeping the food journal. Not so much about what foods you're eating, but like I'm going to eat a food and I'm going to note how I feel from it. And if I don't feel good from it, I'm going to put it in the category of like this food is going on the bookshelf of I don't eat this. I may eat a food and feel nothing. Okay, I'm going to put this on the, it's neutral. I probably shouldn't eat it all the time, but if I eat it, I'll be okay. And then I want another shelf for the, this makes me feel good. Eating something like that is going to be food that makes you feel energized. Like you feel like after you eat, you shouldn't feel like you need to take a nap. You should feel like you're ready to go and do more stuff because you added fuel. You ever thought about that? I mean, imagine if you put fuel in your car and go, well, I can't start my car now because I just gave it a bunch of fuel. It won't start for like another hour because I gave it all this fuel. No, your car is going to light up. It's going to go. I don't know if you've ever gotten to the point where your gas is almost like beyond empty and you're wondering if you're actually going to make it to the gas station. But then you fill your car up and you can almost sense that your car is running more efficiently. That's because you've added fuel. It has enough of what it needs to do what it needs to do. And if your digestion is good and you're eating the foods that make you feel really good, I mean, it's like taking a caffeine shot and a B12 vitamin shot when you eat. You should feel energized from your food. And that's the other category you're going to want to check things into is the food that makes you feel good. Right? Like I feel really good on spinach. I can eat an apple and a handful of spinach. Well, multiple handfuls of spinach. And that for me is a great snack. I get that might sound weird to some people, but I enjoy, I enjoy apples. I feel good from them. I enjoy spinach. I feel good from it. And if you don't, don't worry about it. There's again, other options. When you fall into the category of someone who has like IBS or everything, you're sensitive to everything. More and more research is pointing out and and starting to, to note that that's more of a case of a digestive problem. And then the question is, is the digestive problem something that I need to repair? Meaning, following some different lifestyle protocols can repair the gut problem or is this a i have a genetic deficiency because of the way i was born just like someone who's born with a leg that's smaller than the other leg there's not a whole lot i can do about it i have to kind of work within my means both those are realities but i think for a lot of people they don't realize that when they have these intestinal problems they can fix them by just changing their diet and really focusing on repair 
Think of it like rehab. If you've had a torn muscle in your leg, you had to get it repaired surgically, you don't just go back to doing exercise right away. You have to go through a rehab protocol, and sometimes that can be months and even up to a year or more before you can officially go back to things. So if your diet and your intestinal tract, your digestive system is messed up, it's damaged like a torn ligament, and it needs surgery, putting surgery in quotes because I'm not saying literally have surgery on your intestines, but you need to go into a drastic change and then maintain a rehab change until your body is repaired, then you need to do that. Because ultimately, it's going to make you live well and longer. Again, we can't plan what's going to happen tomorrow, but I'd rather live as best I can today, knowing that if I'm going to go tomorrow, it's because I made good choices, not because I get a heart attack from eating McDonald's three times a day. So start keeping a food journal, look at the foods you're eating, and see what happens when you eat those foods. If you're really new to eating healthy food, then I would say before the food journal, just go to eating whole foods. Get used to eating real food again. Get your body craving the real foods and then start the food journal. Because if you've never eaten, if you're eating most of your meals out right now and they're not really great places, and I would still put places like Chipotle in the category of they're not great places. If you're not making it yourself or someone you know locally making it themselves, you're probably going to want to start eating healthier on your own and then start a food journal and start noting, hey, this food makes me feel like crap. This one makes me feel really good. I have no opinion on this food. And again, these foods are not like french fries. They're not meals out. They're food foods. Because if a food is really good for you and your body likes it, you could technically eat it by itself for a meal and still feel fine. Now, that's an extreme, again, outlier example. I'm not saying that I can eat spinach and eat four pounds of spinach and be good to go. I would feel sick because it's just a lot of spinach. But at no point in time eating it do I feel like I've, I've eaten too much, right? The only time I feel that way is when I'm no longer craving it the next day. Okay, I'm good on whatever was in spinach that my body needed. And that's the other cool thing that happens when you start eating well and having a good diet is you get into intuitive eating. It's way easier than calorie counting. It's way easier than keeping track of macros and all this nonsense. If your body needs more protein, you're going to crave more protein. If your body needs more fat, it'll crave more fat. And again, this should be good healthy fats, good healthy protein, not just anything. There again are probably some outliers in this scenario of people who when they diet or when they have a very high workload, like I'm thinking like the strong men who are eating like 15,000 calories a day. At some point, they're not craving food. They just need to eat so much because their performance is so unrealistically high. It's an unhealthy performance level. Like any sport, is it good for you? No, but if you do it right, you can do it well for a long time and then retire and go on to other things. But you need to start thinking in those terms and start looking at your food that way. But you can see how this is really easy to see. Like, well, I already kind of do this. Maybe you're in a primal diet. Maybe you're in a vegan diet, whatever. But you're focusing on this, this minute lens of food being based on this diet. Well, vegan, primal, paleo. You need to stop putting up the blinders around all foods and isolating it down to this one food group as some magical way to eat. It's just not the way our bodies work. And if you look at the makeup of our bodies and how people have been living for thousands of years, none of those diets are the way we've been eating for thousands of years. We're humans. If we find something that we can eat and it doesn't kill us, we're going to keep eating it. Like that's just how we've been for forever. I mean, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but that seems to be the case of from our tribal ancestry up to our agrarian lifestyles to where we are now. If you're out in the forest and saw a berry and you ate it and then you had diarrhea for the next day, okay, probably not going to eat that berry again. Or your friend ate the berry and they died. Okay, whatever that was, I'm not touching that. 
but you're going to keep trying food because if you don't, you're going to die anyway. We're not in that position anymore where there's no threat of the food thing. I mean, we'll see what this next year turns into. So you need to take more stock into the food you're eating. Do they make you feel good? Do you actually feel good from the food you're eating or are you just eating it because you're told it's good for you? That's a big difference. It's the intuition that's way more important than the outward expression of, well, science is showing that if you have this much vegetable, you're going to be okay. Look, you should eat a lot of vegetables. I think everyone should. But find the vegetables that work for you because one, you'll like them. You'll be more inclined to eat them and you'll do more stuff with them. But I think everybody should be fighting for a goal of eating like six vegetables a day. And I'm not saying like six servings of vegetables, but like just six whole vegetables a day. Like if you're going to have a serving of carrot, then it's a whole carrot. If you're going to have cucumber, well, not a whole cucumber because that'd be a lot of cucumber, but it depends on the size. We'll, we'll throw it in that way. Depending on the size, eat a whole serving of that food. And if that sounds like a lot to you, then that should show you how little vegetable you're actually getting in your diet. Because we should be eating a lot of vegetables. I think they're good for us. I think there's enough research to show that every diet kind of has vegetables in it besides like the carnivore diet, which is a different bubble in, all of, in and of itself. And I'd put the carnivore diet in the category of the keto diet. I think there's a great acute scenario of where it can do a lot of good things, but I don't think long-term it's a sustainable diet plan because it's just not realistic. So use what works and go off that way. If you're having a hard time trying to wrap your head around this idea of intuitive eating, then start with a diet that you like. Go primal, go paleo, go keto, go veggie, uh, vegan, go vegetarian. Do it smart, whole foods, and then start branching out from there into other foods. And don't go off of one try of something. Um, I've known people who have gone into like a vegetarian, almost vegan diet, and then they go back to trying dairy or something and they have a bad outbreak. So like, oh, see, I can't have dairy ever again. Well, maybe your body just, hasn't had dairy in a super long time and it's like whoa what's this stuff takes a moment for it to figure it out same thing happens if you're being vegan for a while and you're going to choose to try having some meat again you're probably going to have a little bit of an upset stomach and some weird stuff going on because your body's having to get used to the idea of more acid to burn the meat again doesn't mean you can't eat meat ever again it just means that you can lose the potential to. And so that's why for me, as a human, we're omnivores. We're meant to kind of graze on whatever is available to us. And I think that's a really cool thing. End of the day, all things are life. So whether it's a plant, whether it's an animal, a microbe, a fungi, they're all a living organism. And the only way we don't die is by taking in energy. I mean, that's the second law of thermodynamics, right? We don't create or destroy energy. We just transfer it from something to something else. So that the... the Lettuce you see growing in the garden, it's alive. It's growing. It has energy. You eat it, you take its energy. I don't see the difference between that and eating an egg or hunting an animal and eating the animal. At the end of the day, it's all we're all one giant ecosystem of stuff. We're all starting from dust and we're all going to end in dust. So I'm not going to take too much stock into the threat of I don't want to eat an animal because it's not nice. Well, then it's not nice to eat a plant either or a fungi, which to me has a higher intelligence than most animals do. We're here to be stewards of the world we're in. Stewards, though, also have to take care of themselves and take care of the thing they have. So there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. I don't want to get into this whole ethical side of whether or not you should eat meat or whether or not you should have dairy or whatever. Like, if that's something you want to focus on, like, you can do your thing. If it works for you and you're healthy, great. But I'm not going to tell people that that's the only way humans have to live and have to eat because there's no scientific evidence that shows that consistently for all humans in all existence. And that's the important thing, again, to remember. 
is we can't make a cookie cutter diet that fits every single person in existence. We can't. There's too much variety. There's too much in our world that changes. I mean, there's some people who can't eat rice because they've never had a genetic makeup that's ever even experienced what rice is. They don't know how to process it. So then you shouldn't eat it. Then there are other people who are like, they had generations of people eating rice. So they can eat it every day, every meal, and it's no big deal. That's really interesting. But it also means that that doesn't mean you should just eat that way. It's this whole idea of going back to like, well, how do the, you know, the Mediterranean diet? That was a really popular thing for a while. I think there's a lot of benefits in the Mediterranean diet. Again, whole foods, local, minimally processed, all those good things that you usually have. But then also whatever the Mediterranean people have, olive oil, tomatoes, fish, that kind of stuff. I mean, it's still just eating a normal good diet and then putting things in that work for you and taking things out that don't work for you. Anyway, this can get really complicated really fast. And I hope I'm not giving you too much information or being too disorganized to explain things in a way that makes sense for you. But when it comes down to your nutrition and your diet, you've got to make sure that one, you can digest food well. An easy way to do that is to see how long it takes you to digest food. Eat something that's whole food, good for you, and then just kind of take note Half an hour later, how do you feel? An hour later, how do you feel? Two hours later, three hours later. If after three hours you still feel like you just ate, then that means you have food that's like not digesting in your body. And that's something you should look into and actually have someone look at and make sure you're doing things well. Again, I'm not a, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a doctor. I can't legally tell you what to do. I'm just giving you, based off of scientific evidence and how people live, the best option for you of how you should be living. You need to eat food. You need to eat whole foods. You need to eat well. But as always, consult your doctor and consult the people in your lives who are qualified to look into those things. When you start to note, hey, every time I eat, I feel like I can't eat for five hours because my, my stuff just feels gross. Or maybe you're not going to the bathroom enough. I mean, the average person has, I think, like 10 feet of intestinal tract. Again, that's the average. So maybe eight, maybe more, maybe less. Just depends. But that's a, either way, that's a, that's a long tract of intestine. And if you're not having a number two bowel movement at least once a day, that means you have stuff stocked up. If you're eating every day, three meals a day or six meals, whatever you do, but you're only doing number two every other day or every couple days, that means you have like feet worth of crap in your system. And I want that to sound gross because I want you to realize you need to do something about that. You should have good bowel movements once to twice a day that should look good. If you don't know what poop's supposed to look like, go look it up. Not pictures. Please don't do that. But descriptions, that'll be a better place. And second, not to say number two and pun intended, but the second thing is your bowel movement should be like doing your number one. You don't sit there and pee for five hours. You don't need to read a book when you go pee. You don't need to read a book when you go number two either. You don't need to do it. You should be able to go into the bathroom, take care of business, and then move on like a couple minutes. And if that's not happening, then same thing. Something is wrong in your digestion because you can't get it out. That's a problem, and you need to fix that. Because if that's the problem, then the intestinal villi, which is responsible for absorbing the nutrition in the food, is probably inflamed or compacted with a bunch of crap, literally and figuratively, and it can't do its job. So you're building up all this excess junk that you can't digest that's now putrefying in your system, and you wonder why you feel so sluggish and terrible. You need to eat better food. You need to get your body to relieve itself of what it can't use or whatever it couldn't use in the time it took to digest it. And then you need to make better lifestyle choices. You need to sleep, you need to drink water, 
I think you can get a lot of the hydration that you need from eating the vegetables that I recommended, right? Six vegetables a day is a good number because if you're eating a lot of vegetables, lots of veggies have lots of water. Cucumber, celery, zucchini, squash. There's lots of veggies that have lots of water in them. And of course, there's fruit that has lots of water in them. And that's going to be a cleaner source of water, depending on the quality, than drinking tap water or buying bottled water that's basically tap water that's been filtered. You're basically paying money for the water you already pay for at home. But we need to stop getting our mind in this cookie cutter world of how nutrition works. And this is true for fitness too. We'll get into that in another episode. But there's no cookie cutter person. We don't all have everything in common. The things we have in common are big generalizations. Like we need food to live. We eat omnivore diets. We need to sleep. We need hydration and we need oxygen. Like there's things that humans all need but the nuances of those things will change depending on your genetic background, where you're located in the world, how long you've been there, and of course, how well you're doing those things already. And I could do a whole entire episode on sleep, but that's another big thing that you need. And to the people out there who say, well, I get five hours of sleep and I'm fine. I'm going to call lies. You think you're fine because you don't know what it's like to actually be full of sleep. And I know these people when they've tried sleeping more, well, I just feel so tired that I don't want to get eight hours of sleep. So I go back to five. Well, how long did you try eight hours of sleep? I was just like two days. Right. Your body's so tired because you're finally giving it more sleep. I would wager that if you tried a month of sleeping longer, you would start feeling better. I have not found a scientific study yet that concludes in a scientifically sound way that humans were designed for almost no sleep. The opposite is always the case. 8 to 12 hours of sleep is what an average person needs every single day. And if you're like, well, I'm so busy, no, you're not. If you're watching Netflix, you're not so busy. If you have time to read a book, you're not so busy. If you listen to this podcast, you're probably not so busy. You're just bad at managing time. Make time to give yourself sleep and deal with the time it takes to suck in all the energy you've lost from not sleeping. And don't make the excuse that, well, I function on five hours of sleep. Functions, not what we want. Thriving, you wanna thrive. No one thrives on five hours of sleep. I haven't met a person yet who does. And if they do, they're kidding themselves. They're creating the persona of that with caffeine, being adrenally deficient, and eating lots of stuff or taking energy shots, whatever, to get there. Just sleep. Get good sleep. There's a great book called Lights Out, and I'm not sure I remember the name of the uh, author right now, but it's a great book. Look up Lights Out book. It's a great book. You should read it. Again, happy to be proven wrong. If you think there's information that shows that people can live with not a good chunk of sleep and that that's the best way, I'm happy to hear it. But again, if you're sleeping six, five to six hours of sleep every day and you think you're fine, you're not. Your body's just getting used to the idea that you're not going to give it what it needs. Sleep longer, deal with the tired, it'll go away, and then you'll realize how much you've been missing out on. Get sleep. Okay, this is a lot of information on nutrition, but nutrition's a big bubble. It can get really complicated really fast. I'd be happy to do another episode on nutrition if you have questions on certain things. I know I gave a lot of information here. Maybe something came in that you were like, I've never heard this before. I'm not really sure about this, or you've heard something different. I'm all ears. Like I'm, I'm a man of science, which means I'm interested in finding what is true. If a year from now I'm going to say a new podcast on nutrition and say everything I said is wrong, I'm okay with that because I'd rather be pointing more towards the right direction than just saying one thing, cookie cutter, and then move on. 
It's not how things work and not how they should work. So ultimately, eat good food. Understand that that means variety is important and that you should enjoy the food you eat. Uh, last thing I'll give it a tip on is uh, the world we live in has lots of things in it that aren't good for you. That's okay. So if you're thinking like, well, what about alcohol? What about fast food sometimes? What about you know, going to a friend's house? What about these things that I can't always control? What do I do? Just say like, oh, sorry, I only eat stuff that's grown in the sunlight and then start wearing hippie pants. You can do that if you want. I mean, more power to you if you want to. But let's go with the 85-15 rule. Now, you're probably thinking, well, no, it's the 80-20 rule, isn't it? Yes, but here's the thing. I say 85-15 because if I try and shoot for 85, I'm probably going to hit 80% of the time. If I try and shoot for 80, I'm probably going to hit 75 or 70% of the time. And if you're not familiar with this rule, it just means that 85% of the time, do what's best. Do what works best for you. Eat the food that makes you feel good. Eat the stuff that makes you happy. Do the things that you best you can. And then 15% of the time, do what makes you just happy. Like, I like beer. I don't mind saying that. I like it. It's good. Not every beer. I'm not an IPA guy. I don't know why people like it. I'm just not an IPA guy. But I enjoy it. I don't drink it all the time. I don't drink it every day. But when I do, I enjoy it. And then I move on. I don't need to drink a six pack. Same thing. If you enjoy cake, like have cake. Just don't have it every week. Don't have it all the time. When you have cake, have cake you're going to be happy to be having, not just something that came from a box you made in 30 minutes. That's what that 15% of the time is. And like, Let's take the holiday season we just passed during Christmas. It's so easy to have an office Christmas party, a friend's Christmas party, an actual Christmas day, and then just stuff like you have the entire month of eating junk. Don't do that. That's why you feel so crappy. That's why you gain so much weight because you've been celebrating Christmas for like four weeks or 28 days or 30 days, however long you end up looking at it that way. Pick a couple days. If you have an office Christmas party, go to it and then ask yourself, well, do I really get happy from the desserts that are there or are they kind of just there and I eat them? Because they don't really make you that happy, then don't eat them. Knowing that like, oh man, my mom makes this really amazing thing on Christmas Day. I'm so excited for that. Okay, that's your 15% right there. Get to have it. Enjoy it. And then move on. If you can start working towards that kind of system of eating, you're going to be way, it's going to be way better for you. You're not going to eat a donut and gain two pounds. It's not physically possible. Now, you might say, well, I've done that before. I've had a donut, weighed myself later, and I weighed more. Right, well, there's a host of other factors going on in our weight. Number one being that our weight does fluctuate throughout the day anyway. And again, if you're stocked up with a bunch of crap because you're not pooping enough, I mean, you're going to weigh more because you have a bunch of crap in your system. Water weight will have a huge effect on everything else. Don't worry so much about the weight and the scale. Worry more about the quality of the food and how it makes you feel. And you'll find there are some foods that, like, they really don't make you feel good ever. Like, I haven't had In-N-Out for a very long time. The last time I had it, I felt gross. And I just found that, okay, there's a time when I could eat this because my body didn't know better and now my body knows better. I can eat this food and feel good from it. There are other fast food-esque places that I would go to, but I would say that my, my standard is different because of the way I eat. And that's okay. If you're like, oh man, I can never give up in and out. It's like the best thing for me. That's fine. But put it in the category of 15% of the time because there's really not anything you can eat it in and out that's like, going to be good for you. Less bad, maybe, but not good for you. And that's the other thing I would say before we wrap up here is don't look at something that's organic, like an organic Pop-Tart and go, ah, organic. It's good for me. Well, no, it's probably just less bad. Still a Pop-Tart, still a bunch of processed junk, less bad. I mean, the Beyond Meat Burger is probably in the same category in my book. It's less bad than McDonald's quality burger meat, but it's still science meat. It's still not normal. Our bodies aren't good at processing that kind of stuff. We can get into an episode about that kind of thing as well. 
Thank you all so much for tuning in to this podcast episode of Innate Strength. Again, my name is Justin. Thanks so much. And as always, if you have questions to ask me, please submit them either through my website. You can find me at Instagram at innate.strength and submit a question there. You can also submit them on a lot of the podcast sites. Or if you're watching the video, you can submit it on YouTube through the comments. If you're on YouTube and you want to do the subscribe, you like you thing, you can do that too. I don't really care to tell you to do that because I think at this point, everyone knows how YouTube works. I don't need to tell you to subscribe if you like being here because you'll subscribe. So that being said, until next week, enjoy eating food. We'll leave it there.